Welcome to your New Hampshire National Guard podcast. We are always ready, always there. This podcast series is a production of the State Public Affairs Office. Hello, I'm Tech Sergeant Charles Johnston, your host with New Hampshire National Guard Public Affairs. I'm joined today by two pilots from New Hampshire Army National Guard Aviation, Chief Warrant Officer 3 Michael Fletcher and Warrant Officer Nicholas Rossetti. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the show today. Thanks for having us. If you could just uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves before we start. Uh, Chief Fletcher, I'm a uh, AGR, which is an active guard, um, full-time pilot here at the flight facility in uh, Concord, New Hampshire. I've been a pilot for about 13 years or so. Um, I was enlisted before that as a uh, mechanic, and then prior to that, I was a uh, prior service Marine, also a mechanic on helicopters. Mr. Rossetti? Yes, sir. Thanks again for having us. Uh, My name's Warrant Officer 1, Nicholas Rossetti. I am a Black Hawk pilot here in the New Hampshire Army National Guard, one of the uh, newest and recently most graduated uh, flight school students here uh, in the New Hampshire Army National Guard. Before coming over to the aviation side, I was actually uh, enlisted with the 39th Army Band as a drummer over there down in Manchester. Uh, But pleasure to be here and transferred over to the uh, aviation side. You're both pilots. You both fly Blackhawks. Talk a little bit about that. What's it like flying a Blackhawk in the New Hampshire Army National Guard? Uh, We can start with you, Chief Fletcher. Well, a lot of it depends on uh, your experience level. So uh, me and Nick are going to have very different um, experiences thus far. But um, once you become fully mission capable and get a little experience under your belt and end up being a uh, pilot in command, you do a lot of training, uh, training of uh, junior guys. You do a lot of um, training to do search and rescue here in the state. Some of the various mission sets include um, aerial firefighting. Uh, We do some counter-drug stuff, things like that. Um, I would say the bulk of the time flying around New Hampshire, you're just doing training. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe 10% of it is actually going out there and doing missions and stuff like that. But we have a pretty diverse uh, mission set. Actually, last year we had uh, the most uh, search and rescues in a year that we've ever done before. Um, A lot of that is based on our capabilities continue to get better. Um, We're able to do more time on station and stuff like that with some of the newer aircraft. Uh, We really make the fish and game officers, they're the controlling agency anytime there's a search and rescue mission. Um, And uh, we help them out by basically not having them to have to carry these people down the mountains um, to, you know, prevent further injuries and stuff like that. And we just have a really great platform to be out there and help uh, search for these people. A lot of people don't understand that the New Hampshire Army National Guard has an aviation unit, let alone helicopters, fixed wing. I see in the newspapers sometimes they incorrectly uh, attribute your activities to the New Hampshire Air National Guard. Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned that because even enlisting in the New Hampshire Army National Guard, I personally didn't know that an Army aviation unit existed in New Hampshire. I didn't know that we had helicopters within this organization. It was something I was blind to, and I joined the band, and that was my mission. And it didn't occur to me or come to my realization that this existed until I actually was exposed to Best Warrior in the unit and went down on an annual training with them and had no idea that it was part of the organization. So upon finding out about that and the people, that's really what kind of piqued my interest and uh, got me into the application process, which we'll talk about later. Um, But once I learned that mission and how you can kind of fight your missions here in the state with 
helicopters in New Hampshire and stay here in New Hampshire, it was, it was a no-brainer. Um, and that was back in 2018, and I, I started the application process right away because it was, it was too cool not to. Um, but yeah, flight school is a... Uh, Flight school is probably one of the coolest schools and experiences you can ever uh, have in your whole entire life. It was incredible. Obviously, before that, you have to start with some type of officer commissioning or appointment source. So you have your two routes that we'll talk about, which is, you know, becoming a warrant officer or a commissioned officer. And then you have your sources through that, warrant officer candidate school for warrants, and then OCS, direct commission, or OCS or ROTC for the officer side of the spectrum. After that, though, you'll start with a uh, PCS, a permanent change of station move, down to Fort Rucker, Alabama, where the Army will pay for you to move all your stuff and gear down to a house uh, in Alabama. So you can live on base, off base, your preference. And then from there, you start all the training. Um, So the first part, you'll start with either your warrant officer basic course or basic officer leader course for the warrant or officer, uh, commissioned officer, respective side. Uh, and that's just a three to five week course, all classroom stuff, just learning about aviation units in the army. So the structures, how the supply chain works, just basic stuff there. Um, after that, uh, and let me preface by saying this, there's multiple phases to flight school. So though we say, Hey, you're going to flight school, there's just multiple courses within that. So that as I talk about these different phases, that's kind of that outline there. So after that first phase, you then have to go to what's called SEER school, which is survive, evade, resist, escape training. Can't talk much about that. A lot of it's uh, you sign an NDA and it's um, more of a secret school, but that's the best training you'll ever have in the Army. Um, it's where they're teaching you how to survive out in the woods, evade from the enemy, resist any um, you know torture, exploitation they're trying to put on you in a prisoner of war situation and then escape back to freedom. So incredible school, the most realistic training you'll ever learn and uh, an absolute blast. So that's about three weeks. Now, when you finally finish uh, Wubbuck, Bullock, and Seer, that's when you get to move on to your flight training finally. So you graduate that like undergraduate newbie phase at a uh, flight school and you get to move on to the fun stuff of, of touching a helicopter. So you start with Common Core uh, for initial entry rotary wing training. And uh, that's where you'll start flying what the Army uses right now is a UH-72 Alpha Lakota. You have two weeks of ground school, which is really just learning some FAA rules and how to start the helicopter. And then next thing you know, one day you meet your instructor pilot, you're pre-flighting and you go on a flight. He takes you off, he gives you the controls and you essentially fly until you get out of control and he takes the controls back and he gets the aircraft back and fixed and level and then he gives it back to you and you hold the controls until you mess it up again. And it's just an endless cycle of messing up and learning until one day you can hover. And then one day you can do an approach and one day you can land and, and then you get a check ride. So there's multiple phases of that. After that, you'll um, you'll move on to some instruments training where you'll learn how to fly IFR in the clouds. And then uh, once you learn how to do that, you move on to, okay, you know, you've learned how to successfully fly an aircraft under FAA civilian rules uh, without killing anyone. Now let's have you do it the Army style and you go to, um, you know, the basic warfighter skill school and that's where you start flying low in the trees and uh, tactical evasive maneuvers and uh, going into small fields, doing the Army stuff. Um, then really after that, you graduate what's called that Common Core, and you'll move on to your advanced airframe, which is um, the aircraft, your go-to-war aircraft that you're going to fly. For, so for us, um, that was the Black Hawk for me, but you know, for some counterparts, uh, that may be a, a CH-47 Chinook or an H-64 Apache. Then you essentially do that all again in your advanced airframe, and it's just with a bigger, better, cooler, more powerful aircraft, and it's a blast. 
Um, and then after that, you just do a cumulative three-week ALE course with uh, to kind of cap it all off, and you graduate, get your wings, and, and return back. But, yeah, it's incredible. We've touched on a little bit how people from different backgrounds and different career fields gravitate to aviation. It's not just that folks are signing up to do this necessarily. Uh, for example, Mr. Rossetti, you were in the band. I know Chief Kaladish was, uh, I think he was former infantry and public affairs. That's correct. Anybody can do this. I don't care what branch you're in, um, what rank you are. We want to see you appear to a board. Um, we're looking for the best quality applicants. The process itself is pretty straightforward. Um, I'm the uh, board manager. So I'll get a flight packet with the content that we ask for. Um, pretty simple stuff, things like a resume. You have to have a flight physical, which um, we can help facilitate. Once you pass the flight physical, there's various tests, one of them being the ASVAB, another one is a SIF test, which will kind of um, gauge your um, applicability to understand like aviation concepts and stuff like that. Um, we ask for some letters of recommendations, um, just some of your general military paperwork, like your ORBs or ERBs and stuff like that. Um, I put out emails to all the readiness NCOs of when we're going to conduct the boards. Um, I'll edit, or not edit, but I'll review all the packets for content um, just to make sure that they've met all the requirements. And if all those requirements are met, that packet gets pushed on to the board members. Um, that board consists of senior Army aviators. And uh, we just come in and we have a discussion. And we're really just looking to see, you know, um, it's a big commitment to be a pilot in the Guard, um, especially if you're an M-Day part-time pilot. Because you're certainly not going to be doing the, you know, one week in a month, two weeks a year thing. You're going to be in here a lot, especially uh, when you're new. Just ask Nick. Um, so once we gauge, um, you know, the uh, applicants that successfully pass the board, uh, that's when we'll start getting you on track to get down to flight school. There's a Fed uh, rec process, which, um, again, we usually get the shrag and a couple of warrant officers, senior warrant officers, to come in on that. And um, that's a, it's not really a formal thing. It's just to make sure that everything passes the test to make sure that we ship you off without any issues. And then uh, we start the process that Nick just described earlier. What are some good traits that an Army helicopter pilot should possess? A lot of focus, uh, a lot of adaptability, because no matter what you plan, even on a very basic mission, it's not always going to go like that. In fact, it rarely does. Um, commitment is huge. And uh, the biggest thing, in my opinion, is balance. Um, especially as a part-time Army aviator in the Guard, you have to be able to balance your family life, your civilian career, this huge commitment that you've just taken on with flying aircraft, and uh, also, you know, take time to do a little self-care and enjoy life, too. I mean, real, realistically, like you said, you know, it's a, a big commitment, but it doesn't feel like a job or a burden. Every day you show up and you see the people, the people are like family, which is cool, um, probably some of the greatest people I've met in the Army. And then you show up and, and you go to pre-flight your Blackhawk and you kind of just take a second and you're like, whoa, this thing's pretty cool. And, and then next thing you know, you're flying. And there's no greater feeling than flying through New Hampshire and knowing that you're doing it with people you love, that people that are great and uh, across a gorgeous, gorgeous state with the mountains, the lakes, the ocean. Um, so it's just, it, it's a lot of work, but it doesn't feel like it. And it truly is special. So as a pilot, do you get your call signs assigned to you or do you pick them yourselves or they don't, do they not exist at all? 
So <clears throat> our call signs are a little bit different than, say, the Navy. Um, we have three units here in the state uh, for aviation. We have first of the 169th, and so their entire unit call sign is ABLE. Um, then we have the 238th, which is the medevac unit. Their entire call sign is granite, and the C-12 is just uninteresting enough to not have a call sign. So what we do is uh, if, if you're in the 169th, you basically pick a number. So I'm ABLE 75 when I'm flying for the 169th. Um, so not as diverse as the Navy, but still a call sign. Sure. So do you all have to get yourself a pair of high-end Ray-Bans, Absolutely. aviators. Yep, that's actually yes. part of the uh, the board selection process. Yes. And the mustache. You wear them to the board. You do. Yep. Yes. And uh, let's talk timepieces. Is there a, a an aviation timepiece, like a Breitling, that is issued, or do you have to buy that on your own, or... So that's a thing that, that was a big thing years ago. The, the, the funny thing was, as a senior pilot, right around the time you're going through your midlife, you're supposed to get a big watch and a Corvette. <laughs> but I think that's kind of gone away with the younger generation. So now everybody's just either on their phones or has an Apple watch. I think we'll bring it back, though. We could. Yeah. Maybe an enlistment bonus for pilots, like free okay. Corvette with every... Yeah. We'll start off with the quartz, you know, and then yeah. move your way up to the mechanical versions. Anything you want to add, gentlemen? No, I appreciate you uh, having us today. It's an honor to be here and talk with you. Yep, thanks for having us. And uh, everybody out there that's listening that has interest, please reach out. Thanks for listening to your New Hampshire National Guard podcast.